0: I'm Brandon Dawson, and this is The Distiller, a podcast about how we find meaningful work and how we find meaning in the work we do. My guests for this episode are a couple of close friends who practice similar, but not identical, pursuits. Christy Goodfellow and Beth Graves are kindred souls who both have, shall we say, slightly unusual jobs. Christy is a potter who specializes in custom wheel-thrown ceramics. She primarily makes dinnerware both for individual customers as well as, and increasingly, for fine restaurants. Her work is beautiful, simple, elegant, modern, and without a lot of adornment. It's easy to see why Christie's ceramics are on the tables at some of the best restaurants in Cincinnati and Chicago. And uh, full disclosure, I actually own a few pieces of Christie's work myself. Beth Graves has a slightly more esoteric profession. Beth is a custom toy sculptor. I won't go too deeply into Beth's work because she describes it better than I can, but it's one of those jobs that you hear about and you say really somebody does that of course somebody does that but how i love that i love those people i love coming across those jobs and i especially love getting to ask somebody how do you actually do that as you'll hear christy and beth's friendship sprang up out of a mutual appreciation and a shared language and experience even though their approach to their work is pretty different and the finished product is completely different i was excited to speak to the two of them together because well. They're both introverts. Their work is private. Yes, there's some collaboration involved, more for Beth than for Christy, as you'll hear. But for both of them, it's largely done in isolation, working on a piece or pieces until their part is done and it's ready to hand off. And I hoped that the opportunity to talk about each other's work might kind of grease the skids, so to speak, for the conversation. Of course, I do love the discussion of a profession I've never considered. Getting to ask someone who does something for which I have no frame of reference, how they spend their days, it's kind of like opening Christmas presents for me. But I was also really excited to talk with Beth and Christy about the challenges of their work, about the similarities and differences, not only in the work itself, but in being a solo enterprise in trying to grow your business one customer or one commission at a time. And how the creative work they both do jibes with the business hat that they have to put on from time to time just to keep things going to get work out the door to keep the lights on Uh, we met with beth and christy at landlocked social house a fantastic coffee and craft beer gathering place in cincinnati's walnut hills neighborhood more full disclosure landlocked is one of my favorite places in town it's a frequent haunt andrew ann and the landlocked crew welcomed us in on a beautiful friday afternoon We enjoyed delicious cold brew coffee. I think there may have been a beer consumed. Gotta say, why aren't more places doing both craft coffee and craft beer? It's a great idea. Landlocked is a great execution. Check out our website, thedistillerpodcast.com, for links to Landlocked Social House's website and their social media accounts. There's always something going on. Pop-up food nights, events. It's just a great place to hang. If you're not driving while you're listening, if you're able to listen somewhere stable, you really should pull up our website, thedistillerpodcast.com while you listen to this episode. We have uh, photos of both Christy and Beth's work on the website and it's absolutely worth checking out to give context to our conversation. It's the first time we've ever actively played with toys while recording. That may just become a regular feature. So without further ado, let's get into it. Here is our conversation with Christy Goodfellow and Beth Graves at Landlocked Social House on the distiller. So first of all, cheers. Thank you both for coming. Thank you for having me. Welcome to Landlocked (laughs) and thank you to Landlocked Social House for for hosting us. So here's what I want to do to start, because there are a whole bunch of unusual things about this interview, chief among them that we're sitting with an entire table full of toys in front of us to play with, which is really great. But I would love if we would start out with you telling me what each other do. Uh, So like maybe Christy, you can start and you can tell me what what Beth does for a living and then vice versa. I'm just interested to hear how you both talk about each other's work.
1: Beth is a toy sculptor, and she sculpts very detailed objects that are often from another artist's two-dimensional drawing.
0: Okay. For whom (laughs) does she do this work?
1: For, I think it's generally artists who then end up selling their toys.
0: Okay.
1: And it's like a limited run collector's kind of toy. It's not
0: just like. All right. Any kind of toy. So you don't necessarily design the toy to start off with nope. all the time or ever?
2: Hmm, it's a little it's a little bit of a weird wobbly line there because most of the time I'll get drawings, but often they start as really sketchy drawings. Okay. And then they hopefully know that I can flesh that out into something that's less sketchy, but even these ones that are very symmetrical and very clean it's like pretty sketchy if you made it look like that picture Mm -hmm. it would be a really wobbly non-spherical head type of a thing so i have to say well do you want it to look like this or do you want it to look like this precedent
0: can you share can you share any of the sketches with me and we can put them on the website and people can see the starting point to the finished product yeah okay cool so So if you're listening to this go to the (laughs) distillerpodcast.com And you'll be able to see uh, the differences between where that starts. And, and this is a fantastic yeah. menagerie. What's.
2: It is a menagerie. That guy's guy? name is
0: Lonnie. Lion? Lonnie. Lonnie.
2: L O N N Y. That's a fantastic <laughs> it's name. It's weird for to try Lonnie. to describe him. Because every time I tell somebody what I do, I'm like, well, they're. I kind of sculpt monsters, usually.
0: Like, there tend to be <laughs> monsters because that
2: gives somebody a very general idea, but uh-huh. then at all, not at all an idea.
0: These are generally all but. within the monster-slash-alien family, yeah. except for this that, art part. That's park. just a taper, a, tapir. a taper with
2: a blanket on its back. Right. So that's the only one that I brought you that is, like, an actual existing animal.
0: <laughs> that's fantastic. But
2: Yeah. So these are all from other people's heads, and, okay. and I have, to different degrees, like... Brought them into the world, I guess. Awesome. Like, like the stegosaurus here, uh-huh. which is a Stegosaurus. Stega Forest. Trees love for his <laughs> for his spines. Uh-huh. Um, I suppose that's mostly in my own style, whatever that is, because it was a really, really vague sketch. Perfect. Relatively vague sketch. Yeah, so. yeah.
0: So All I right. like that. But. Before we get too far, let's <laughs> let's switch it. Beth, tell me what uh, Christy does. Mm.
2: Christy makes hand thrown pottery. That's the most basic idea of what you do, but the most pristine, thinly walled, perfect hand pottery. <laughs> <Thank> <laughs> Mugs and bowl plates and what else do you make? Vases, plates. Mostly like, dishes, mostly, mostly tableware. Tableware, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's the most basic way that I would describe what you're doing. But.
0: All right. And we will absolutely have pictures of your work. On the website as well. So if you're listening Master and you're in Potter. a place where you can, while you're listening, check out the website. <laughs> go to the website and look at some of the images because I think that will be a great place to start to talk about the work. So how do the two of each uh, of you know each other? When did you meet?
2: We met at that gallery. We yeah, always talk we met about at this Country Club
0: gallery country club
2: in Oakley. But that was probably ooh, that was at least. 2010, but I bet it was yeah, earlier. Yeah, I was going
1: to say eight years ago, maybe. Yeah, so that's not about right. let's say 2010. Right.
2: Okay. <laughs> so, and we had a mutual friend that introduced us. And it was one of those, like, you meet at a gallery and you, you're just talking about what you do, probably. I don't know what we're talking about, but I feel like we talked for a couple hours. I don't yeah. know. I feel like we just instantly
1: yeah, we kind of kept connected. talking
2: and, I don't know, pretty soon started hanging out, but I don't remember the details at all. Just yeah. always been and then there. we had
1: another we had a mutual friend that I used to work with so I met Beth mm, at the gallery mm-hmm. and then was invited to this other mutual oh, friend's house for a party and then I saw you there and so we sort of <laughs> connected again exchanged phone numbers and then became buds after that
0: alright yep. yeah. <laughs> is, your, is your friendship like are you friends and you mm-hmm. hang out and you don't talk about work much or is it a creative friendship as well do you ever like spur each other's ideas on or even collaborate on things
1: I think Beth spurs ideas for Uh me more than I'm able to spur ideas for her. Well, that's because I'm doing other
2: people's work for the most part. But we've talked about collaborating, and we keep being both too busy to actually make a a A 2019 goal. There we
1: go. Yeah, it was a little collaboration. Recently, a
2: 2017 goal, but now it's going to be a 2019
1: goal. I know, (laughs) and we set it. On a microphone, so now yeah. it has to
2: happen. That's
0: right. It's on the internet, so it's forever. Yeah. yeah. It has to happen.
2: But, but you, you let me take a mold class with you, so I got to learn a little bit more about clay in that way. Because I use a different sort of clay than Christy uses. Yeah. But,
0: uh, Do you talk yeah, about, I mean, you like, both start out working in clay. Are there discussions about technique, clay techniques or tools or anything like that? Or do you... Yeah.
2: Maybe a little bit when I come to visit you or something, but there should be more because there's so much that I don't know. And I'm in my own little bubble of the few tools that I use and the certain yeah. thing that I use that really not that many other people yeah. use that I know anyway. But but I'm always fascinated by your knowledge of that, <laughs> your working knowledge of
1: all of those I feel like things but that you're using. I feel like Beth has helped me push forward with some ideas, for example, that button that I was working on and a couple of other things. Oh, that's good. Because like Beth... <laughs> the work that she's doing for is for other people and until pretty recently a lot of the work I was doing was for other people whether it be restaurant dinnerware or
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, play settings or planters that were for wholesale oh, right. um, and so pretty recently I decided like okay I need to make a collection of work that's just work that I want to make in these palettes that I'm interested in exploring kind of putting out there and some of the mm-hmm. ideas that I was tossing around Beth kind of helped me take them a little further than where I was with them which is really helpful.
2: Cool. You I think you we talk more about business stuff. When she's helping okay. me, it has to do more with an overall look at what uh-huh. I'm trying to do than individual, I suppose, because I'm working with usually one other person on each figure. Right. And they're the ones who are telling me what to do with it for the most part as far as like formal issues go. But so for for me, I'm usually asking Christy questions about I can't think of any recent ones, but usually questions about how how do you run your own business and right. make money doing but what you're really good pl- at.
1: We have plenty of talks about time management. <laughs> yes, <and> we do. <laughs> invoicing. Plenty of and them. And ways to word things and emails to people. Oh, yeah. that's
2: true. <laughs> I forgot about, yes, for sure. That kind of a relationship, which is very valuable.
0: Absolutely. And I just
2: why we can't even think of the details because I, I guess it's it's that it's that easy when it comes up usually that... We can ask each other those things. Yeah, it's usually if
1: we're feeling stuck about something or we want to bounce something off each other. Otherwise, just like normal friend stuff.
2: Normal friend stuff and like, oh, what are you working on?
0: Yeah. Well, these are the reasons that I wanted to talk to the two of you together. Number one, because I kind of had this fear that to talk to either of you by yourselves, you would be so reluctant to talk about what you do (laughs) that we would just have an hour of silence. (laughs) So this is, it's already working well. But the other thing is
2: way more that's, awkward so yeah that's
0: <laughs> funny no this is good um mm-hmm. uh you both there's similarity to what you do you both work in clay you both work by yourselves you both mm-hmm. have a creative pursuit that's somewhat unusual in terms of like what people culturally do and so i part of part of it is i want to talk about like just how you started doing what you're doing and how you spend your days and stuff like that but then the other thing is that the concerns that you share and the places where you you both kind of get hung up and are able to help each other are the concerns that are universal to independent workers and small business owners. And, and um, people may or may not have a network or a, a compadre like you do to talk about those things. So for somebody listening who's thinking either they're in that place and I'm stuck and I don't know how to move forward mm. to hear some of your discussions might be helpful. Um, or for somebody that's thinking, I want to do an independent creative pursuit. How do people do that? You know, it might be good right. to hear some of your... So well, let's start off first of all, um, and just a brief story about how, why you both do what you do, how you got into what you were doing. Did both of you go to college for this?
1: Both went to art school. Okay. Mm-hmm. I went to the School of the Art Institute. And I went to the art academy here,
0: okay.
2: Cincinnati Art Academy. All
0: right. And did you study pottery, toy design? What do you study <laughs> to get where you are? Just general art?
1: Yeah. I start. I, the school that I went to, you didn't have to specify a concentration. And so I started off doing some graphic design and photography and then okay. got a little tired sitting in front of the computer and decided, I'm just going to take a ceramics class because it's the opposite. <laughs> and then I just really connected with the process, and uh-huh. so continued to explore that alongside of photography. And then once I graduated, I got an internship and just kept finding community studios to continue working with clay. Mm-hmm. So I sort of fell into it a little bit.
0: Okay. Um, when did you did you sort of think, mm-hmm. I could make a career out of this, or this is something I want to at least take a stab at?
1: I guess that was probably... In 2009, I feel like I really started selling my work mm-hmm. and going to different pottery fairs and stuff. But I was still working full time, and it was about five years ago now that I quit my full-time job. Okay. And at that point, I had started working with a chef, sort of collaborating, making small batches of work for uh, dinnerware and stuff for him. Yeah. And for was, his restaurant. Yeah. And okay. then I was selling some stuff on consignment, and I just sort of wasn't happy at work anymore, and
0: What were you doing for work at the time?
1: Um, I was doing merchandising at a houseware store.
0: Okay. Yeah. An
1: unnamed houseware store.
0: (laughs) But still sort of in that world, you had an idea of what they wanted. You had an idea Mm -hmm. of what a buyer might be looking for.
1: Yeah, kind of how to arrange things, being Uh surrounded by like designed objects. So it was definitely related and definitely ended up being helpful, like going to pottery fairs and stuff and being able to merchandise my own work to sort of speak to the visual aesthetic that my work has on its own, being mm-hmm. able to kind of create that mood with a tent setup or something was really helpful.
0: Yep. And talk about a, a little bit about that. What is the visual aesthetic of your work as you, Beth, sort of gave her opinion on it. How do you define the visual aesthetic of your work?
1: Yeah. Um, I would consider it kind of subtle, like clean lined, mm-hmm. pretty earthy. A lot of the color I work with comes from the clay itself. Um, minimal glazing. Mm-hmm. A modern... You, you take the weight out of the clay. Hmm.
2: What do yeah. you mean by that? At least comparing it to lots of other pottery that I see, but even without comparing it, it's she lifts it up. Well, literally, you lift it up, yeah. but it starts as this lump, this really heavy lump that you throw in the center of the wheel, and then you... I don't understand how she does it, but she... <laughs> She just elevates it. You elevate it into this, yeah. like, buoyant form, you I guess. But I, Now that I'm talking about it out loud, but...
1: Yeah.
0: No, well, but I've seen yeah. videos of people working with wheel pottery, and there's something that defies gravity and how yeah. you shape something and get that structure to hold it up.
1: Yeah. yeah, And,
2: and then, the- yeah, you make it look very easy, so that's why... I, I'm picturing it like this. Oh, thanks. Mm.
1: It doesn't feel (laughs) easy all the time. (laughs) But I feel like in my head, every time I'm making it, there's sort of this internal struggle of like, okay, you have to center the clay before you could do anything else with it.
0: Otherwise, it gets flung all across the room by the wheel.
1: Yeah. Uh Yeah. Probably. So just sort of getting that bit of concentration is kind of metaphorical, like you're centering the clay, you're kind of centering yourself, coming to sort of like a quiet, calm place, at least Mm -hmm. for me, Mm -hmm. it's metaphorical in that way. And ever since I started, I just sort of had that sense of conquering this thin wall. Hmm. And it was usually really wonky and off-center to start with. And then, I don't know, over time, like 15 or so years of trying to do that, finally, like, like yeah. I'm getting a hang of it. But it was
0: something early on that you felt like you had a sense for, like a feel.
1: Yeah, I guess every since I started, even I have one of the very first things I ever threw at home. Still, and looking at it, I'm like, oh, yeah, I can tell that I made that. That piece mm-hmm. oh, in the backyard. It's oh, little, like, I need to look at it again. It's, like, round and rocky, but... Do
0: you can watch you see Ghost, all the falls, like, like once a day? <laughs> Just for inspiration.
1: Never watch it. I mean, in the past, I've watched it, but... <laughs> It's been a while.
0: <laughs> like
1: anti-inspiration, Right, exactly.
2: <laughs> yeah, is pottery. That's the other. That's another podcast.
1: Is pottery. But I'm like, should I sensual? quit? And then I watch the video. I'm like, eh, maybe. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, a little too. Maybe not. I wouldn't want anybody that close to me. I recently hired an assistant, and so it's interesting having somebody else in the space because for me, right? it's sort of like you're doing this like personal kind of manipulation of a thing and you're kind of trying to be concentrated
0: and in a quiet sort of space because if you don't it's going to go all over the place yeah yeah it's almost
1: like you have to think about what you're doing while you're doing it otherwise it's really easy to lose track and especially like beth is working from a drawing and i'm typically if there's a new form i'm unsure about sometimes i'll do a quick sketch of something but typically i'm like sketching it while i'm on yeah you're reacting to what's
2: Mm -hmm. happening physically with the clay and it's in motion Whereas my things can sit dormant for months. Like, yeah. the material I use is forgiving in that way. It doesn't it doesn't change form at all. Like, okay. it doesn't get too hot. It you doesn't You can get leave too it cold. and sort of
0: walk around and look yeah, at it for a while. Yeah, I can leave
2: it for years and years and years, which is actually a very bad thing. Most of the time, at least when it comes to my own things that I want to make, because they just sit in a box. But, like, I don't have to, I don't have that expediency that needs to happen. Mm-hmm. So, I'm always very inspired by that part of her process because she has to set goals for herself because of the way the clay changes from the moment you take it out of the bag yeah whereas my wax is I don't know it's just very it's in this particular state where it doesn't where I manipulate it like I heat it up to a certain temperature and I use a little hot tipped pen and otherwise it just sits there it might gather dust but it doesn't it doesn't change or dry or get I mean at least it's imperceptible if it does. Yeah, yeah. So I always like I feel like I would like to venture into that realm of sculpting because because I don't have those Yeah, like we did <laughs> for your birthday a few years ago, or maybe longer, she did um she had us all go to Queen City Clay, formerly not Queen City Clay, <laughs> and we and we all got to throw, which was great and also hard for any sort of perfectionist that showed up because it was like, oh, this looks decent, but it's heavy. Like the three things I did that are the heaviest bottomed things you've ever seen because we didn't like trim the the foot of the thing like Christy does, but yeah. it's just, it's just, it all kind of goes right to back to the table. You know, it's still well, a nice little touch. Well, there's that honorable, the
0: lightness of what, of what she does. Yeah, yeah. So no. quickly, just because this has always been, an, one of the hallmarks of handmade work in general, is uniqueness and, and beautiful imperfections and sort of a, uh, maybe what would typically be a lack of continuity or, or symmetry between the individual pieces. Maybe. Your pieces are very repeatable and symmetrical and they're of a family. And when you do a set of dinnerware, they all have to fit together and stack mm. together and they all have to be. How do you achieve... In something that's so imperfect in the work that you do by hand, how do you achieve such regularity to your shapes and forms?
1: Technically, I just measure a lot. So I like weigh out the clay. So if I'm making a set of dinnerware, I might start with like four pounds for each plate that I'm making. Okay. And then when I'm making it, I have a dimension in mind. You, typically, my dinner plates end up at 10 inches, and then I lose an eighth of an inch per inch. Um, In firing, it through the firing, okay. so you typically lose anywhere between ten and fifteen percent of the size from when you start to when it comes okay. out. So you kind of take that into account, and then I just sort of take measurements, <laughs> and I try to get close for each one. And I'm really meticulous, as a positive word for it, yeah. I'm really <laughs> meticulous about it. It's inspiring, seriously. <laughs> yeah. And there's some of that <clears throat> control that I feel like. Oh yes, okay. I. Successfully completed this form. Awesome. And then I feel like there are times when I'm glazing where I kind of let that go a little bit. Mm. So, whether it be like drips that happen in the glazing itself, or when I'm dipping something in and I can't use a tool to dip it and I use my hands and I end up having some fingerprints and stuff, I kind of mm. like seeing that in juxtaposition mm-hmm. with the clean, like tight forms. And it's kind mm-hmm. of a balance to me where I feel like I could be yeah. really tight and meticulous and then just being kind of able to let go a little bit. And I fire in an electric kiln now, which you have a lot of control over, but I used to fire in a gas kiln and I've done a few soda firings before and they're more atmospheric. So there are certain things that you can't control in those firings. And that was always kind of nice to then like have this control and then being able to relinquish that control is always Mm. sort of a nice it does seem like
0: for any artist there's a point, um, my, my closest association is music, mm-hmm. um, that there's a point at which you have to let go of your thing. Um, uh, Rich Hordinsky, who was on our second or third episode when I was making a record um, a bunch of years ago and sort of talking to him about mastering it, Rich said something to me that I've always held on to, which is that um, records, and this could be applied to art projects, are never done, they eventually just fly the coop. Um, and with everything, there's this mm-hmm. point at which you just have to let it go because it's never going to be done, done.
2: Yeah, I feel that way every single time I send something out.
1: I know. I feel but, like that's probably a shared yeah. thing that Beth and I have because her yeah. stuff is super detailed and meticulous as well. And it's so you probably get to a point where it's like, OK, how many
0: how many scales, scales on? Yeah.
1: Do I every need time, like, I hate it by the end. Do I like, need every project I another hate another? Really? Yeah.
2: <laughs> by the end.
0: <laughs> no, there is that. There I is that it, then process. Then later, I'll love it again. But yeah, but there is a, a point of needing <laughs> yeah, so needing to get rid of it, needing to have it move on.
2: That's exactly yeah. how I feel every time. And but my the thing about my process that's different. Hopefully this isn't out of order, but just as a little parentheses yeah. is that other people work on what I make after, so I don't have oh, the right, end. Right. I'm not the end maker Mm -hmm. which is i feel cowardly of me but also you know i can that's the process i'm in the middle of it i feel like i generate the forms but i'm sort of in the middle because the things that are on the table at least um usually the wax that i finish will half about half the time get turned into a resin cast and then Mm -hmm. it's way more solid and way Less marble and then it will get sent to Japan. all of these are made in Japan by these little family factories where there's another wax process made off of the prototype that I send or that my client sends, and mm-hmm. then there are at least two more processes like after that and so these these beautiful, shiny things that you see are evidence of the marks I've made, but also evidence of someone working on them after me.
0: Do you ever get that, something back that is? unrecognizable from what you sent off?
2: No, I haven't with any of these things. Um, Maybe like when I was doing um, work for big toy companies where Uh other types of changes happen in between. That's how I started. But um, these things... You know, with the exception of a few details here and there, or things maybe weren't pullable out of the molds, to use a non-technical term, they couldn't pull out of the molds very well. Like, maybe they had to adjust something in right. their wax stage. But I always know that someone else will touch it after yeah. me. Yeah. Which is about, it was such a relief, but also... I don't know. It feels impure somehow. <laughs>
0: well, no. But it's it, a collaboration it, in this weird that's way. That's what I was going to ask. Does it feel like collaboration or does it feel like something mm-hmm. not so nice as collaboration?
2: Mm, more collaborative than a negative kind of ghost of that. But there are times when, when at each finish of a project, I am hating that it's still in my possession hmm. for lots of reasons, like lots of psych- psychological reasons. Um, I will be like, well, somebody else is going to be able to clean up this little else. nick. Yeah. yeah, and it yeah. always feels like, yeah, it just needs to get out of here.
0: That's great. It just needs to
2: get out of here. So that's more complicated. But, and it's interesting that other people might feel that way who have a different relationship with each step of their finished product. Because, yeah, mine just ends at a certain point, and then a few months later or a year later, it comes back to me in the form right. of a plastic hollow
0: well, so well, let's talk guy. about what you so. do uh, a little bit more because, and this is one of my yeah. favorite things, one of my favorite things is to come <laughs> across somebody who does something that I never knew or considered <laughs> existed.
2: Yay, I'm glad to, yeah. I don't know that much about it. So, I've never been to Japan, Right. But, no, so <laughs> but I, I'm glad I have to be able some, to introduce it to you. I have
0: at least some familiarity with pottery, you know, I took a seventh grade pottery class in Idaho Falls. Um, <laughs> oh, that sounds I, good, I like that. Like, I never knew that, like, and of course somebody has to make the toys, at the beginning, but like I feel, I feel yeah. like most of the culture yeah. has no idea where that starts. So
2: I can relate to that. Yeah, describe. Those people.
0: Uh, tell us the Ooh. story, and the story <laughs> is like, how did you start? You said you were making toys for big companies, but mm-hmm. then I really am interested in. Um, <laughs> like how does how many of of you are there in the world like how does somebody get into what you do and how did it happen for you at what point did you say (laughs) well I might be able to make toys for a living and so we need to go back to to art school but then we also need to get into (laughs) when did you realize that you could make individual custom toys for Mm. somebody in Japan in the privacy of your own home (laughs) tell us the story
2: From the privacy of my desk Um, I can answer the latter half of that question the first half I don't know how many there are of us like I can go through say Instagram and see when people tag like sculpted by this person who I've never met I've never Uh met any of them and it's not even necessarily a competitive world other than that it's small from what I glean and from the idea that like yeah most people aren't going to just run across these types of figures which are called sofubi which means soft vinyl as far as I understand Okay. It's like any of this would need to be fact-checked, but soft final figures.
0: We don't have the budget for fact-checking. We're just going to take your word for I it. Mean, I don't know it. that,
2: but I, I don't know if anybody would be listening who would be sending you messages about my facts being off. But this, this, will, this will speak to my solitary nature because I'm sitting up at the desk looking at my picture or looking at my reference. Sculpting things sending them to someone else who then has to deal with the production side of it Which I'm also grateful for I'm sort of like trying to dip a toe into that and learn more about it through other people who have moved To Japan from America and who have decided to take that on themselves, but I have not decided to take that on I'm just doing this part so
0: to interrupt you though Why is this something that happens primarily in Japan? Is it a different appetite for different kinds of toys?
2: It must be, but that's like you're giving me questions that I need to start asking more of too, because it seems like it all stems from Godzilla.
0: Uh huh. Um, Doesn't everything though mm, in our culture? Yeah, I think a lot
2: does. A lot more (laughs) does than I even have an idea of, really. But I mean, Godzilla is the one that's the most referenced, but I don't know if there's anything before. I'm not sure if people were making figures of this type, which are multi-part multi-part soft vinyl hollow figures like uh-huh. I don't know how else to describe them to someone who can't picture this right now but well, They
0: can, they can it's kind look of at like the, a baby
2: doll a hollow a hollow headed baby doll but pieces but,
0: turn they're not one piece the heads yeah, rotate they're articulated. maybe the arms or the legs yeah, yeah
2: they're articulated they're um, slush cast it's called where you pour the material into a metal mold and then you you let the kind of outer shell bake or cure or whatever the process is and then you pour out the rest so okay. it becomes a thin walled like these are they're hollow are these, these yeah. are like a sixteenth of an inch wow it's probably like thin or so. yeah like there are there are lots of corollaries with uh, with clay clay work but I don't do any of them so that's why I, I'm talking sort of like I dreamt all of this because I because I send a, ho, a a solid wax sculpture to someone and then it comes back to me as this light hollow shiny piece of soft plastic so so, um, to answer, what was your question? To answer the question, it was...
0: How did you first find did, out yeah. that this was something that you could do? Oh
2: Well, I started, I guess I have to go all the way back, if that's okay. I have to go all the way back to it's
0: school. It's okay. Go Is ahead. okay?
2: Okay. Yep. Uh, it's a short story. But I was in school, I was at the art academy down the street, when it was still within the art museum building. Um, and I didn't know what I was doing. And it was like, fine arts was the only thing that I... Ever knew, not even knew how to do, but had been interested in making. I guess mm-hmm. and you're like I'm making things. Thus, go to art school and make more things. Sure. And you're in the environment where you, where that's a good thing to do. Everybody's expecting you to make things, and then they talk about those things. Yeah. Right. So and
1: you then focusing on sculpture while you were in school, though.
2: I was a. <laughs> if you look yeah. at the records of, like, if you looked at the transcript, it'd be like sculpture major or Scul-, sorry, sculpture emphasis fine arts major. Done. But I was doing, I was, I was in total fine arts, especially at a school like the Art Academy where they, I feel like it was pretty loose, loosely defined. Mm -hmm. They had a lot of academic programs as far as say life drawing and learning how to paint in a, an old master's sort of tradition or things of that nature. I didn't do that kind of thing. I, I did, I did what I was required to do. And then I was fully immersed in the world of well, make something, and then we have to talk about it. Right. And maybe it's not valid, but it's valid enough. It's valid enough, I guess. I don't well, know. No, how did you end
1: up at? I don't know what
2: I was doing. Sculpting.
1: Because after school, you <laughs> <That's> started <laughs> sculpting. She's taking over for you. No, that's great. That's, that's because perfect. I know that's this part.
0: <laughs> you want to hear Yeah, the you story. know this part. Um, yeah, yeah.
1: Because you were sculpting <laughs> for, like, like you yeah. sculpted <laughs> World Barbie's Panda or whatever. Good memory. Pokemon. That's
2: I forgot about that. It. Yes, it's true. Um, so in school, I don't know what I was doing—all sorts of whatever, like all sorts of whatever, different mediums, as defined find my environment. Which is what you were—let's su- be clear—which by- is what you were supposed to do. <laughs> oh sure, like, oh yeah. It was not—I was not being rebellious. I mean, maybe. No, but like, it's
0: one of the great things about art school is that like a lot of a but. lot of different different paths of education, professional education, no. career education these days are you know ignore all of the other stuff, and it seems like art school is one of the few places where they do say no, learn it all. Yeah, and when, then pick your specialty, but like you do need to know or you should at least be aware of the techniques that go into mastery and in other fields like yeah. that's that's a great thing because it's something that we lose, yeah culturally. both of
1: us, yeah. both of us learned a lot after school, I feel like yeah. like we kind of dabbled yeah. in things, and it then was very yes it was very for me out and I'm always <laughs> still learning something, some new process, yeah or whatever, yeah. I feel like Beth sort of refined her.
2: yeah. I definitely Style. the way that Brandon put it was maybe more <laughs> more focused and positive than I would put it um in retrospect. Like I enjoyed my experience at the Art Academy. There was no issue there. I met great people. I it pro- I don't think I can define how it has how it has helped me yet. I think maybe as time goes on it's 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 starting to sort of show up, but it's it hasn't manifested yet in my mind. Like what exactly did I take from this besides the Besides the very obvious um, connections that you make with other people. So in my case, uh, there was a instru- he was an adjunct there named Chris Daniel, who is still in the Cincinnati area. Mostly a metal sculptor, but other- otherwise as well. And he worked at SculptCo, which is where I ended up working after I graduated. Mm-hmm. And so my friend Nick Paparone, who went to school with me, who was in the design side of the art academy but everything sort of meshed yeah, yeah. Um, in a good way like that's what i loved about the art academy at the time i think that it was all sort of just all over the place and everybody was kind of doing a little bit of everything um, he wanted me to sculpt a figure it was like started with a commission he wanted me to sculpt a six inch figure of himself for a self-promotion packet he was doing i could cool. not remember what it was but but so it was like oh yeah, I think I can do that mm-hmm. cuz I had always worked with clay as a kid. I don't know why I thought I could do it cuz I wasn't doing that kind of work at all. I wasn't just sitting and sculpting people, but it's like, sure. So I so I took some like really soft and now with retrospect, really soft like not good clay to work with for a tight six inch figure and I sculpted him like during other classes I remember taking the figure into some sort of history class or aesthetics class I was taking and his girlfriend at the time being like he needs more of a butt <laughs> and so I and I already had his jeans sculpted it's uh-huh. it's like both it's both very sloppy and very at the same time detailed so I'd sculpted his little pockets and I remember like kind of sticking the tool in the butt and squishing it out and then sticking more clay in and she's like okay. <laughs> He would, he would That's tell better. you it's, it was right, but, but he had these sort of dready, this dready messy hair. And so I like, it was kind of an expressive sculpture, uh-huh. especially for me, especially compared to this stuff. It's pretty funny. So I still like, it's like a prized possession. The one casting I have of this thing. So I talked to Chris Daniel cause he worked at this toy place and he was like, yeah, we can mold that for you. Cause I had no idea how to mold things. They didn't have rubber molds and resin casting at the art Academy. I don't, at least I didn't know about it. And so we went to the studio and it was like, oh, people do this stuff? Like people, it's exactly what you were saying. Like, oh, people make toys? And this is happening in Cincinnati? What? And this was up on Gilbert at the time. Uh, Gilbert and uh, Kemper. Okay.
0: Not too far from where we are. Or
2: Kenton, I'm sorry. Yeah, but not too far from where we are. Um, Yeah, and so it it was a little studio, like 10 people at the time, maybe less. But So I go up there and I didn't have any money. So I was just kind of like, Yes, thank you. Uh, okay, whatever you need to do, help me out. I don't even remember. It's like a dream, but I, I think that's what made me realize. Oh, people do this, and maybe I got some feedback from somebody there that made me think I could do it. Or later, because I was going to graduate then, either that year or the next year, they're like, Oh, you should come in and like you should sculpt something for us as a trial, and come talk to us. And that's what I did. Awesome. And so I sculpted some other. Some other character that my boyfriend at the time had come up with. Um, it was a two-headed turtle, which I still have in clay. And the clay is kind of gross now. But I feel like it's this, yeah, it's a talisman. It's like a... Right. It's a very important No, there are landmarks along the way. And it was never molded or anything, so it's just clay. But, um, you yeah. know, and it was good enough to get me in as like a yeah. starter...
1: Starter sculptor. Starter
2: sculptor. I don't know what they called. don't. There were no names, but the place is called Sculpco. And... I don't know. It's a, and from I'm very there nostalgic to, about it now. So.
0: Yeah, how do you get from there to, like, what? Yeah, what is the next step? I yeah. assume maybe the next step or one of the next steps is sculpting, like, for the larger
2: yeah, toy brand. Yeah, so with the work we did at this place, we were contractors for Hasbro, Mattel, Jack's Pacific, which I don't know if people know that name, but they did all, like, the wrestling figures, mm-hmm. and they did lots of other stuff, too, but we did tons of wrestling figures, tons and tons and tons. Um, and so we did lots of Pokemon and like all like lots of cartoons that were out over the years. I worked there for 11 or 12 years, so mm-hmm. lots of popular culture came through there, but it was mostly so that kind of stuff. So what
0: happens, you sit down one day and somebody <laughs> hands you a sketch of a Pokemon yeah. and says, right, you need to yes. make a three-dimensional figure and it needs to be this tall and...
2: Yes. Okay. And Pokemon, as the example, Pokemon USA, that was who we were working with via... Oh my gosh, Mattel. Um, they they were very specific, and so we would have rounds and rounds of changes on these like on each character. Yeah. And they were they were the most strict that we ever worked with, where it would be like your side, the side view and the front view need to match exactly. And they would draw, they would send back these overlays that were so specific, and we would think. No, like that's not possible. But yeah. you're trying to like justify your job. There's lots of things that I learned at that it's, job. But it's
1: good training. Oh, it was good training. And we would have Climate we would have little contests
2: and, yeah. for who could get the least amount of revisions. Mm-hmm. Um, and that only happened once. Maybe there was like one round of revisions. It was usually three or four. So they were lovely characters, and we did hundreds of them, I think. But it was that was the weird underbelly of it. Like yeah. Yeah. it's not really that fun. Like sometimes it's fun, but. But there no, are people are the who that... are on who are on the other side of it who are telling you what to do. <laughs> yeah, and then these are
0: the things that if you've never known this was a career, you never know that yeah. it, that this is what somebody it's goes through. It's taken very seriously by somebody, right? You know, yeah. in a
2: different way than we were taking it seriously. Like in a way of they are making lots of money off of these things, and yeah. the packaging, the size of the toy is dictated by the packaging size, which is dictated by how many mm-hmm. fit on a pallet, yep. which is dictated by what target wants. Like so strange. Totally. There's so much I don't know. But yeah,
0: where it can shelf and yeah. like, you know. Yeah.
2: So it was this whimsical version of that. Then I don't even want to see the non-whimsical versions of it, but that's where I learned that right. much about uh, commerce, I suppose. But so, so yeah, we were making those kinds of things. And then we, on the side, uh, the guy who owned the company, Tim, and my friend Chris, who worked there as a designer, and my friend Quincy, who worked there as a designer, um, we decided to try to do our own thing on the side and at the time we all had the time to do that i guess and so we were trying to make our own figures and so we started going to comic cons or sorry the comic con the san diego one um in 2008 and so we went to a few of those or a handful of those
0: to sell your capability as Um, sculptors and toy makers
2: yeah we the first year we went to like (laughs) to just go and see it and then to also get dressed up, we did that in two thousand eight. That was that was a lifetime ago and was pretty funny and weird. So we did the cosplay. We did as. a cosplay thing. Um, we made stuff up when we got there, essentially. But we took a bunch of costumery, and I think my name was Precious Metal. I was sort of like <laughs> <laughs> to send you that picture. It was like a lot of like gold do, and silver lame yeah. and like a long. Uh, I mean, proud moment. It was I was I got to she be a different person best for a second. Oh, yeah. <laughs>
0: I'm sure
1: it was awesome. And yeah. we
2: made it so it was like a, like a whatever. It was doing the sort of like sexy, not really air quotes, but it was very much like long silver wig cuz I think I already had it and like a short poofy skirt with crinoline underneath it and everything was metallic, put metallic on uh-huh. myself and we dressed up our friend Quincy as the dollar store kaiju because a, a Godzilla is called a kaiju in Japan. Japanese and and so we went to the dollar store on the way to the convention and this is so not what I meant to talk about but this is proud moment so and we just bought a lot of metallic things that they sold like the um the things you put in the windows of your car to keep them from overheating Uh and we dressed them up in this terribly hot awful costume that was really (laughs) awesome looking we sewed it in the we like sewed things together in the hotel room and like dressed them up and made them take pictures with everybody is that trooper. where you met... So, I have a picture of that, too. But. Is
1: that where you met Juana and some of the artists yes. that you ended up yes. sculpting for?
2: Yeah, so, so we go to a Comic-Con. I, yeah, I'm a very... I can go on tangents. We go out to Comic-Con, and we're starting to see these designer toys, which is kind of, I guess, where all of this stuff fits in, where they are made by small makers or small companies or individuals, where they are... I look at them as passion projects. At least everything I do is sort of a passion side project of most people that are... That want them made, most clients. Uh, there are bigger entities, but the people I work for are like working as screen printers for their full-time job, and mm-hmm. then wanting to make toys on the side. So they're coming up with the money and getting everything done. <laughs> and so we toys. were we were starting to see these people. And Tim Tim collected the guy who owned SculptGo, collected this stuff to begin with. Like he introduced uh-huh. us all to it, I think. And so bought me my first kaiju, and. And so I'm seeing people and recognizing their names and being, oh, okay. Oh, that's interesting. And so I remember there was a picture of a sloth that Buana Spoons had drawn, um, a card that he had made, and it's a sloth uh, with, a, with a, a cup of bubble tea in his hand <laughs> with a thick straw. And I didn't bring that, unfortunately, but that's the, that's the first one. And so I, I wrote him. We just met him, and I bought the card. Mm-hmm. And it resonated with me and I was like, I want to sculpt this. And so I, I wrote to him afterwards, like that's, I guess that's the takeaway is like, reach out to people. Like yeah. all I did was write him an email. I didn't have to call him. I didn't have to do anything. It was just like, other than make the work, but I, I sent him an email. I said, I'd, I'd like to sculpt this. Yeah. And he, and so we like, and he got back to me and we embarked on a collaboration
0: there's so many things out of what you're both saying <laughs> that I think you both take for granted in your worlds that are different from all the other worlds. Um, like, number one is uh, there's there's a word for it now. There wasn't a word that I knew of even up until like five years ago, but mm. like maker culture.
2: Oh, sure. Mm-hmm. And it's,
0: it's a word now. <laughs> Only because, like, the world has gotten to the place where people don't make anything anymore. Right. You know, like, people just used to make stuff. Like, the idea was, Mm. you know, it doesn't matter what I do for a living. If I need a piece of furniture or if I need to fix something, I'll go make it in Mm -hmm. my backyard. People had skills. We've gotten so specialized and so removed from those things that now anybody that thinks of making something for themselves or making a physical thing in the world is now a part of the maker movement, which is great. I'm glad that it exists, but it's, yep. like, it's important to say that one of the things that I feel like you're communicating that I'm hearing you talk about is that an implicit assumption in the world that you came from is that things can be made and that mm-hmm. you may not know how to do it, Mm-hmm. but that you can do it and somebody else had to make it. Yeah. And you learned a lot of the base, basic skills and orientation to be able to say, I can make a physical thing. Mm-hmm. I worked um, for a, a very short period of time. I worked as a welder um, in between a bunch of other jobs. And it was one of nice. the greatest things because so much of what I've done in my career is talking.
2: You know, working
0: on the radio, hosting a podcast, selling or making advertising. Yeah. And that was one of the few times in my life where at the end of a day, I've made locomotives, like welding giant trains. What? And there's something unmistakable. See, that's something I don't
2: think about people doing.
0: Right. No, somebody has to do that. And there was something about at the end of the the day saying, I made that thing. It's made of like 12 tons of steel and it's going to exist for a long time. Um, Right. And it's a physical thing in the world. And I think that's something that people that are, that are natural makers don't realize the degree to Mm -hmm. which for, for Mm -hmm. a lot of people who might conceptualize a product or a toy, like people, there are creative Mm -hmm. people working in non-creative fields and they will typically say, well, I'm not a creative person. They might have a good idea, but the distance between those people. And the idea of becoming a reality is very often the fact that they can't even conceptualize how that thing becomes a physical thing in the mm-hmm. world. Mm-hmm. And it's cool to me to hear, like, both <laughs> of you, whether it's a product of art school or product of, of what you've done, have this, first of all, baseline assumption that a thing can be made, that a thing that doesn't exist can exist. Um, yeah. The the second like thing that. that I think is um, is really cool about people who have... a a formal or semi-formal, like art education, is there's an assumption of feedback and collaboration. Um, mm-hmm. Like you know, very often people, self-taught artists, self-taught musicians, are used to just going in the back bedroom and making a thing, and maybe they put it out or maybe they don't, but but they generally don't have anybody else's input on it when they do it. Mm-hmm. Whereas uh, my partner Sarah Rose is a poet. She grew up with critical feedback being a part of every single thing she wrote.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. interesting to hear. It because is I guess yeah. not being a poet or knowing Aside from knowing Sarah Rose, like knowing many poets and how mm-hmm. they work, it's sort of the same. Interesting that there's that common critique because for me, it's like, oh, she has this like thoughtful, creative, pensive mind and is able to translate these beautiful mm-hmm. words that are making mm-hmm. the rest of us think. So it's interesting to hear like, yeah. oh, it's very much the same or similar yeah. process to what we're yeah. going through, which for me... Yeah having a little bit of graphic design experience. I feel like that's identifiable to people like, okay, like you're working for a client who has this idea of what mm-hmm. they want and you're trying to make their vision match with a physical
2: mm-hmm. object. You have to tell them what is possible and what isn't, which I Yeah.
1: Which so is that's interesting to hear okay. that that sort of carries over I guess through yeah. a yeah. lot of different art. Forms. I mean, I
0: think it's something that comes from the formal learning at least part of what you do in an e- yeah. education environment, which is But you know, for the for the poems in the poetry world, it's such a danger to have things overworked. There's a term that I've learned from her called the workshop poem, which is a poem that is technically perfect because it's had all of its jagged edges (laughs) knocked off, and it's it's just uninteresting.
2: That's the same. That that would work for.
1: Yeah, I feel that way sometimes. I'm moving into some more mold-based production just to make a more sustainable living for myself, I guess.
0: To make what you do a little more efficient, a little yeah, more. Yeah, exactly.
1: And so that's sort of a like an internal conflict mm-hmm. about is the replicate mm-hmm. is the replication and the fact that everyone is right on.
0: Yeah. Way is there less a d- is appealing.
1: There- like, what are you losing by, like, not having touch? And although, like, my right. forms tend to be really similar from one to the other like if they're looked at closely like they're made individually so they're still and each
2: one has to be worked after
1: yeah the fact
2: like nothing comes out fully formed which is the case for all sorts of production i know but in your case it's still a very small production line but it it, i understand the tension though and i haven't been able to figure it out
0: either for your work something unique when it's
1: Yeah. Or how does it, I feel like there's a vulnerability to handmade Mm -hmm. work that people connect with when they're then connecting with that object because they see that and there's like this thing that they can't name, but is drawing them to it.
0: Yeah. Well, I think part of it is the sense (laughs) that like, uh, so I have some of your beautiful work at home. There's a there is kind of a neat thing. I don't think about it all the time, but like when I choose to recognize it, there's this idea that I take a, a plate off the shelf. I know your hand touched that. I know that decisions and care went into the making of that thing. Even if there's five plates, and even if technically those plates are all the same, they're all completely different. There was mm-hmm. one, you know, second longer that the glaze was allowed <laughs> to drip off one than the other. There's a little spot on one where the glaze dripped off in a different way there's you know so all of those things go into when something is made when a toy is made by an individual person when a piece of pottery is made by an individual person if you choose to recognize it there's a symbol of care that if you want to get esoteric about it is like is a beautiful thing and a harder and harder thing to find in our world so if you value that there's a reason to to support Artists. I don't mean this to be a commercial for what you do, but what the hell. <laughs> no. there's a reason to support independent artists like yourselves because you no. have this, you have this interaction with something that exists in the physical world that came from somebody's mind and then from their hands.
1: Yeah, and I feel like we are in a time where people are recognizing that. Yeah. So I remember when I was in school, also coming from like a more conceptual art education getting to the place where clay resonated with me because I was making a thing that was an actual thing. It wasn't this idea somebody was gonna hold it, potentially use it. And that idea as its own concept was starting to gain traction. So Mm -hmm. I remember like the first like indie craft show that they had in Chicago was called Department. And I remember thinking like, oh, what an awesome idea. And Etsy was a fresh (laughs) thing. And I was just like, oh, this is Mm -hmm. so smart. like. I get it. Okay. <laughs> and now it's kind of mainstream that people are looking for this handmade objects. And I feel like people are able to value that and I feel like we're kind of maybe at the tipping point of this pendulum of we had mm-hmm. like all of this mass produced stuff. Mm-hmm. People are starting to realize that everything is fast and mm-hmm. the boxed same and the same. Yeah. And so people are kind of coming to find that connection and personality and that like moment of pause that they get to have when they're <laughs> interacting with something that's handmade. Yeah. So I feel like we're fortunate in time.
2: Oh, yeah. That's very, for that. That's um, very
1: intense to think
2: about. But yeah. Yeah. It does feel, yeah. I don't know. I, yeah. It always feels, I always feel that tension of, is this going to, Continue, especially with what I'm doing, because they're not useful in the specific way that Christie's things are useful. If we're comparing, but yeah. which I do a lot, of course, in general. But it's like I don't know, because the, these things are that I make are able to be made because of collectors. Yours also. I mean, the the, those are, the people are collecting yeah. them, yeah. Yeah. but Brandon mm-hmm. is collecting.
0: I am. Brandon's I'm building my collection. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Usually
2: via second sales well, and thank trades, you. but. Um, I, yeah, it's just, it always feels very tense in the, I, and then I can't, and that's where I need to talk to other people who do what I'm doing specifically. Cause I don't know what the market is at all. I'm just kind of like, well, I'm going to hear somebody else wants me to do a job. So I'm going to do it. It's very seat yeah. of the pants and in a, does your work in a come difficult to you, way. But. Does
0: your work come to you from <laughs> repeat customers or does it come from you getting your work out there and then somebody reaching out to you because is it, you know, a word of mouth? Uh,
2: both, but. All I wrote that down, actually. All of my work so far in this world has been word of mouth, mm-hmm. which is really, really, really fortunate. And also, I'm not sure where the, where, what's the word? I don't know, because I don't have a ton of time to sculpt right now. So I'm not sure if I'm really busy because there's that much demand and I would be really busy if I had, say, 40 hours to yeah. put towards it every week or if it's the perfect confluence of demand and what I can give at this time. Right. Because at this time I'm taking, I don't know, I'll have a project for months and because I'm only working like 10 or 15 hours a week on it. And, and, you know, if I had my druthers, I would be, you might knock be it out, in two out more. Weeks yeah, and, yeah. But I don't know if I would even have the demand because I'm not sure. It looks like there's a really, it looks like it's critical mass just with the kind of stuff coming out all the time in this soft vinyl world specifically but also in there's a resin world there's a bootleg resin world there's like all these very specific things that I'm sure not that many people know about but there are are avid collectors and like everybody is I don't know everybody's really intense about it like well and it seems like cool but
0: it seems like the internet
2: (laughs) the internet is your best friend (laughs) it is I wrote that I wrote a version of that down because I was thinking like I haven't met most of the and people you I work to. for yeah. like, and I don't need to to do the work like I like to meet them I like the community yeah. they are all lovely clients like we've had I've had no issues with anybody ever like they're all lovely people to work with they're always very grateful I'm grateful like we're it's like a, yeah. a gratitude yeah. it's, it's cheesy it's so cheesy and sappy but we're just like thank you Thank yeah, you. It's Can, thank you for letting me do this. No, I don't think it's cheesy at Thank you for all. doing I this for it's me, like it's Or whatever. A, even though we're paying. Well, that confluence
0: paying. of where the where the culture <laughs> is at right now, exactly what you were talking about, is this reaction to the sameness mm-hmm. of all this overproduced stuff. Yeah. And even if there is something that you need to be relatively the same, like a plate or a bowl, mm-hmm. you know, you want it yeah. to stand up, you, you want, want it to, to function work, a certain role. Yeah. <laughs> there is still like a beauty to experiencing something that has everything that you need to be the same. And then has all the uniqueness of having been produced yeah, yeah. by an individual. And for you, the um, you know the uh, the effect of Comic Con, the effect <laughs> of niche interests families Mm. on the internet, the the effect of the internet in terms of people being able to communicate with. There might have been somebody in Iowa who was really (laughs) into this particular shape or type of toy Mm -hmm. that they saw once from an advertisement in Japan. And 15 Mm -hmm. years ago, they have no idea whether there's anybody else in the world into that. They have no way to get that. Yeah. Now, like, that person can connect with their community. Mm -hmm. They can celebrate this thing and feel enfolded into this thing. And then there's a greater likelihood that they're going to really blow it out, that they're going to make it a part of their lives, that they're going to go to Comic-Con, that they're going to, like, communicate with these people, which only has to increase the demand for what you're doing, which is great.
2: Yeah, it's been, I don't know, it's been really interesting and lovely and positive that people uh, more normally the messages I get it'll it'll come at a point where I'm like oh I'm finished with this I'm almost finished with this project he needs to get out of here right like, as the next oh, one oh I need this along. out of here but I need to get yeah. some more yeah. stuff in and, and then somebody will email me yeah. and, it, and I've like rested on that Laurel for years as a side job like this, this was great. a side job for a while and now yeah. it's the job along with mothering a three year old but it's like I'll get that message. Yes, I can do this job. And so it feels very, yeah. uh, I don't know if karmic is the idea, but it feels like sure. it's all its all aligning, it's which working. is scary. It's very scary and very lovely that it's been working, but that's why there's always this tension of, yeah. Yeah. should I be doing something else too? Because if I don't get an email or if I don't have somebody to like bug, because yeah. I don't have a history of... Texting or uh, emailing people and getting work. Sorry.
1: Well, I was just going to say that it's been the same for me Uh, up until this point. Like we've both been really fortunate to work with awesome, inspiring people who are growing our businesses through their word of mouth. And then Mm. you kind of get to that point where you're making a decision of when or why am Mm. I then trying to make more and tell more people about it. Yeah, And I feel like I'm sort of at the cusp of that and sort of like what's informing that decision, knowing when to make that decision. And I feel like for you, time is an issue currently, but I think if you had the time, because your word of mouth and your work is really strong that you would be able to.
2: Hmm. Maybe. I mean, there's at least a lot going on right now, seemingly. Um, It's yeah, it's like you're saying, you just don't know if there's gonna be if it's going to tip over, and all of the interest goes out, or all of people's like people don't have money to spend on toys or handmade things. Yeah, but or I they, feel like I people
1: know. might not have. This is my interpretation of what people are doing with their money right now, which <laughs> yeah. from my bubble, <laughs> this it. is you what see, it looks you like. You see a lot more people. Than I feel like I know, people are spending. They're more intentional about what they're spending their money mm-hmm. on. So they may pay more for something that they are valuing more,
0: right? Rather than having yeah. something that everybody else yeah. has,
1: And just spending lots of money on something that is just going yeah. to end up in their trash in yeah. a year. Yeah,
2: two. that's yeah, that's true. There's a pre- uh, I don't know if precious is becomes a negative word or not. I don't think of it as that, but there's a precious factor to what we're both making in terms yeah. of because mine are mine are mass produced to an extent, but it's like. Runs of one hundred or something, and then yeah, people the very paint them smallest
0: sort of scale of mass production. Yeah,
2: it's still pull. They're all of the. They're called pulls. All of the toys are pulled by like two people in a factory. Yeah, yeah. Like and, um, which is hard, hot work from what I understand. So I'm, all, I'm like so grateful for everybody on either side of my little bubble. But um, you know, I. It's a yeah. It's a weird thing so, that I have trouble
0: with. We've got just a couple of minutes left. Last question is: um, What is the greatest challenge for both of you right now in what you're doing? And you may have already talked about it a little bit. But like we talked about how you how you began doing what you're doing, I feel like we we've gotten a pretty good sense of how you do what you do every day. Although I would love to talk to both of you about that more and more and more and have like video from your studios. <laughs> but as you Here's the sense that I get, and I might be wrong. I get the sense that both of you are in this, in this middle point from being, well, this is what I do, and I've had to sort of like carve out my niche to moving into a phase where, like, Chrissy, you can tell me if this is right about Beth. seems to me like Beth is making a name for herself, and among people who know this work…
1: Yes that she's very
0: re- well-respected in what she's doing. Otherwise, she wouldn't get the work that she's doing. Yeah. It seems to me that for you, you started out in a, in a small space making wheel-thrown pottery. Now you have your dishes in restaurants all over Cincinnati, in Chicago, and in different places. And you're making a name for yourself in this mm-hmm. in this pretty high-end uh, world where your stuff is well-known and well-respected and being photographed. And so you're both in this transitionary phase in this cusp of maybe taking your your small little creative making <laughs> venture to the next phase of it actually mm-hmm. being something that you're known for. Tell me in, a, in as brief a, a way as you can, <laughs> what challenges does that present for you practically or emotionally or mentally Ooh. about how to navigate this phase and how to go wherever's next?
1: I would say for... Me, it was sort of making those decisions of, do I leave my backyard? (laughs) Do I broaden and enlarge my bubble, which I love to be in? Mm -hmm. And then I just got to the point where my business is not sustainable if I keep spending 45 minutes on each dinner plate. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'm kind of trying to find that balance of, okay, how can you make more in less time and retain that? bit that is really special and that connection that people are interested in when they're purchasing the items. And so starting to get into thinking about making an actual career and have a sustainable income from what I started doing because it was a process that I really connected to Mm -hmm. and I really liked. And so I feel like that business side is what is most challenging to me, sort of figuring out what that looks like, navigating all of the little details that are involved in that. Yeah.
0: You got in this to be a a potter and an artist, and now in order to take it to the next step, you have to become a business person, which is a whole other set of skills. Yeah.
1: It's kind of like not my favorite thing. And I quit my job thinking, a friend of mine was asking me when I was thinking about it, what do you want to do? I was like, I just want to make things and have people buy them. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, cool. Well... Which that part. So then I was making things. That part things worked things well. People were just like buying them, I guess. And now it's at the point <laughs> They're where. they buying them. I'm trying to navigate that business. And we're like, okay, my timeframes are really far out. I'm breaking even as a business. Like, what do I have to? Kind of taking a step back and yeah. almost like analyzing a little bit of what you're doing and figuring out how what to move to that for forward and sort better. of adjusting the path that you were just sort of coasting along, like now you kind of have to like knock down some of the weeds and like right. be in, more intentional about like the direction, oh. right? Yeah, that's
2: right. a good word intentional,
1: which yeah. yeah, it's hard because I feel like we both sort of just like have been riding this yeah. wave of like, uh, oh yeah, yeah, we love doing this thing, I think and fell people into like it, it so no that's anyways. cool, mm-hmm. and we're good, yeah, and we have work. Which
2: is cool, but then, like you were saying, I want to make things and sell them, essentially. And it's like, but then you have to figure out, how many things do I have to make? And then what do I have to sell them for? And is that even going to work? And And then that feels gross pretty quickly. You want to
1: make something because you like making it, and you want people to like what you like (sighs) about it. You want that to translate and sort of create this connection with somebody else without having to be with them. I guess. Yeah. But if right, you don't yeah. make
0: it and sell it for enough, there's a practical concern. You don't get to make it and sell it because you got to go yeah. back out and get that job and yeah. And then you can't pay, the bills.
1: pay your mortgage and <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You can't feed
0: have your, your, dogs. your backyard.
1: <laughs> your uh, well, dogs go hungry.
0: <laughs> and I would imagine there's also uh, you know uh, there's the Instagram effect of like looking at other people that are doing what you're doing and how they're marketing themselves and feeling uh, like you somehow Instagram need to effect. fall into their
1: yeah their way difficult. of doing
0: it which yes. isn't the way that you need mm-hmm. to do it
1: that is a thing
2: yeah Yeah. I, I don't i you know and sadly i don't follow a lot of sculptors in that world like i probably, probably should do Not more sad. of it smart good. yeah that is it's so strange idea. i there are some people that i'm really inspired by. we've talked about this a lot though we're like am I, are we inspired or just discouraged in like and yeah. looking too much at this other thing and comparing too much and it has nothing to do with what we're doing blah 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 i'm sure everyone experiences that in different ways but yeah, it's. A, I'm just furrowing, furrowing my brow a lot because it's, it's a very, it's like knocking the wind out of me to even talk about it even though it's very real, I, it, because it's very real. But, because yeah, I'm trying to figure out if it's possible to be a pretty much full-time mom and also do this because it seems like it would be... It always seems like it would be because you can work at night. But turns out you're really tired when you, after you yeah. eat dinner. And it's all of that that everyone else has dealt with. But now I'm dealing with it. And I'm 37 and a half. And I'm like, <laughs> what am I doing? So I feel like ever more childlike and ever more it. confused. I'm yeah. still doing you're it. Doing like it. I'm sending out some sculpts hopefully tomorrow. Yeah, They're in the it's boxes. It's not the best feeling. It feels great except, the except the that I'm office. like, this should have gone out go two go. months ago. But, but I'm always nervous because they could break on the way. Yours could break on the we way too. We both have
1: that. <laughs> um she's finished she taught me how to pack things up even more lately anxiety where we both yeah. are meticulous mm-hmm. and <laughs> run late because we can be slow because we're because we don't we never learn how to manage it. our
2: time and i'll speak for like myself
1: having you're, ob- you're obviously
2: doing it yeah we're still doing but it luckily everyone's pretty flexible in my world hopefully in yours too but.
1: Yeah, but then you have mm. to send the dreaded email, like, oh, just oh. wanted to let you know.
0: It's going to be a day late.
1: <laughs> I'm a month behind
2: because... I have started so many emails with, I'm sorry. Yes. <laughs> Apologies for.
1: Yeah, but I'm now... S- thank you
2: for your patience. Here's like, something honestly. we've had a
1: discussion about. <laughs> thank you for your patience. <laughs> We're not apologizing anymore. Oh, no, that's true. More gracious. thank yous
2: than apologies. <laughs> good. That's our. You're tip. still sorry that it happened, but you're thanking step. them for understanding
1: instead yeah. of being negative. Yeah. So, but going to the post office mm. and like getting the things on their yeah. way. Yeah. Having you, it be out in the world. Really awesome. Yeah, feeling it's a very good. Advised me
2: to double box, which I am doing oh, now. Nice. <laughs> I've never had anything yeah. really, really break on the way to Japan, but I never it's insurance for, insurance for enough, and I'm always afraid ensure it for enough so it's yeah these things yeah so it's like the stepping back and assessing the whole thing
0: yeah
2: from the bubble was what you said like that is my biggest challenge right now is to Hmm. step back and like start keeping data about what's going on and then learn how to analyze it because this was clearly nothing that appealed to me and I was doing what appealed to me and what I then got good at over thousands of hours but
1: but that's the struggle, that's though. The I feel stuff. like you have to hold on to the things that are appealing to you. That's Otherwise, funny. you should just go find some
0: right, you're not doing random it.
1: job that's going to pay you well and give you insurance. Oh, I've tried versions of that.
0: Imagine never that. I know. Very
1: well. yeah. Or like temporary so I versions of that. I feel like we that, kind but. of did that and wasn't really working. And so now we're <laughs> navigating a different body of water.
0: <laughs> well, It's true. You're both doing it. You're both he doing it well. You're both doing project. good work.
1: We're doing it. <laughs> <laughs> High fives all around. No. Thanks, Brandon. No,
0: be encouraged. <laughs> this, is, this is great. We probably do need to wrap it up, but <laughs> it's right. been wonderful Thanks. to talk to both of you. It's been wonderful Same. to uh, sit and see uh, these little monsters in front of us while yeah. we talk, too. So I we make more. sure we have... We'll put pictures of, of these on the website. Someday you'll see a monster
1: attached to a pot.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Stay
1: tuned. Yeah.
0: All right. Thank you both so much. Thanks, thank
1: Thank you. you.
0: This episode of the Distiller was recorded live at Landlocked Social House, 648 East McMillan Street, in Cincinnati's Walnut Hills neighborhood. Landlocked offers amazing third-wave coffee, craft beer, and food. They're open every day from 7 a.m. to midnight. You can visit the stillerpodcast.com for links to Landlocked's website and social media pages. You can see their rotating tap list and a list of events. Just looking at their webpage right now, there are pierogi pop-up nights, Indian street food night, Korean hot chicken... There's always something going on. If you're in Cincinnati, you owe it to yourself to stop by and experience what Anne and Andrew have created. It's a great spot. And thanks again to Christy Goodfellow and Beth Graves for hanging out with us on a Friday afternoon. Their work is beautiful and inspiring and hearing about their journey helps us not only imagine somebody else's life and work, it also gives perspective on the questions we're all trying to figure out. As mentioned, we have photos of their work and links to learn more. Maybe even add some of their work to your collection at the distillerpodcast.com. So please check it out and give them some love. The Distiller is produced, recorded, and hosted by me, Brandon Dawson, with co-production and booking from Terry Heist. Our show is mixed and edited by Justin Golden. Our logo was designed by Scott Ryan. And our videos are by Mike Helm of Minute Moments Pictures. You can find The Distiller wherever you listen to podcasts. Please do click that subscribe button to be notified when new episodes are released. And if you like what we're doing please spread the word. The easiest way to do that is to follow and share our posts on Facebook and Instagram. And the best way to help us is to rate and review The Distiller wherever you listen. Ratings and reviews are the currency of search results for podcasts. And every one of those helps us show up just a little bit better for listeners looking for their next podcast addiction. So thank you. Remember, you can listen and download every episode of The Distiller and find information including links, photos of the guests, a map of all our show locations. And of course, you can get in touch with us all at thedistillerpodcast.com. You can also send us an email. Our address is mail at thedistillerpodcast.com. We want to know who you think should be on The Distiller to talk about their search for meaningful work or where you think we should record the show. So please drop us a line, whether by email, on the website, or on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. We always love to hear from you. Until next time, thanks for listening. Bye-bye.